Section 33 of the Junior Classics, Volume 9, Stories of Today. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mr. O'Leary's Second Love by Charles Lever. The play over, O'Leary charged himself with the protection of Madame, while I enveloped Emily in her cashmere and drew her arm within my own. What my hand had to do with hers I know not. It remains one of the unexplained difficulties of that eventful evening. I have, it is true, a hazy recollection of pressing some very taper and delicately formed fingers, and remember, too, the pain I felt next morning on awaking by the pressure of a too tight ring, which had, by some strange accident, found its way to my finger, for which its size was but ill-adapted. "'You will join us at supper, I hope,' said Mrs. Bingham, as Trevanion handed her into her carriage. "'Mr. Lorriker, Mr. O'Leary, we shall expect you.' I was about to promise to do so, when Trevanion suddenly interrupted me, saying that he had already accepted an invitation— which would unfortunately prevent us, and having hastily wished the ladies good night, hurried me away so abruptly that I had not a moment given for even one parting look at the fair Emily. "'Why, Trevanion,' said I, "'what invitation are you dreaming of? I, for one, should have been delighted to have gone home with the Binghams.' "'So I perceive,' said Trevanion gravely, and it was for that precise reason I so firmly refused what, individually, I should have been most happy to accept. Then pray have the goodness to explain. It is easily done. You have already, in recounting your manifold embarrassments, told me enough of these people to let me see that they intend you should marry among them. And, indeed, you have gone quite far enough to encourage such an expectation." your present excited state has led you sufficiently far this evening, and I could not answer for your not proposing in all form before the supper was over. Therefore I had no other course open to me than positively to refuse Mrs. Bingham's invitation. But here we are now at the Cadron Rouge. We shall have our lobster and a glass of Moselle, and then to bed, for we must not forget that we are to be at St. Cloud by seven ah that is a good thought of yours about the lobsters said o'leary and now as you understand these matters just order supper and let us enjoy ourselves with all the accustomed dispatch of a restaurant a most appetizing petit souper made its speedy appearance and although now perfectly divested of the high excitement which had hitherto possessed me my spirits were excellent and I never more relished our good fare and good fellowship. After a toast to the health of the fair Emily, had been proposed and drained by all three, Trevanion again explained how much more serious difficulty would result from any false step in that quarter than from all my other scrapes collectively. This he represented so strongly that for the first time I began to perceive the train of ill consequences that must inevitably result, and promised most faithfully to be guided by any counsel he might feel disposed to give me. "'Oh, what a pity!' said Mr. O'Leary. 
it is not my case it's very little trouble it would cost any one to break off a match with me i had always a most peculiar talent for those things indeed said trevanion pray may we know your secret for perhaps ere long we may have occasion for its employment tell it by all means said i if i do said o'leary it will cost you a patient hearing for my experiences are connected with an episode in my early life which although not very amusing is certainly instructive oh by all means let us hear it said trevanion well agreed said o'leary only once for all as what i am about to confide is strictly confidential you must promise never even to allude to it hereafter in even the most remote manner much less indulge in any unseemly mirth at what i shall relate having pledged ourselves to secrecy and a becoming seriousness o'leary began his story as follows you may easily suppose began mr o'leary that the unhappy termination of my first passion served as a shield for me for a long time against my unfortunate tendencies toward the fair and such was really the case i never spoke to a young lady for three years after without a reeling in my head so associated in my mind was love and seasickness however at last what will not time do it was about four years from the date of this adventure when i became so oblivious to my former failure as again to tempt my fortune my present choice in every way unlike the last was a gay lively girl of great animal spirits and a considerable turn for raillery that spared no one the members of her own family were not even sacred in her eyes and her father a reverend dean as frequently figured among the ludicrous as his neighbors the eversham's had been very old friends of a rich aunt of mine who never by the by had condescended to notice me till i made their acquaintance but no sooner had i done so than she sent for me and gave me to understand that in the event of my succeeding to the hand of fanny eversham i should be her heir and the possessor of about sixty thousand pounds she did not stop here but by canvassing the dean in my favour speedily put the matter on a most favourable footing and in less than two months i was received as the accepted suitor of the fair fanny then one of the reigning bells of dublin they lived at this time about three miles from town in a very pretty country where i used to pass all my mornings and many of my evenings too in a state of happiness that i should have considered perfect if it were not for two unhappy blots one the taste of my betrothed for laughing at her friends another the diabolical propensity of my intended father-in-law to talk politics to the former i could submit but with the latter submission only made bad worse for he invariably drew up as i receded dryly observing that with men who had no avowed opinions it was ill-agreeing or that with persons who kept their politics as a schoolboy does his pocket-money never to spend and always ready to change it was unpleasant to dispute such taunts as these i submitted to as well i might secretly resolving that as i now knew the meaning of whig and tory 
I'd contrive to spend my life, after marriage, out of the worthy dean's diocese. Time wore on, and at length, to my most pressing solicitations, it was conceded that a day for our marriage should be appointed. Not even the unlucky termination of this, my second love affair, can deprive me of the happy souvenir of the few weeks which were to intervene before our destined union. The mornings were passed in ransacking all the shops where wedding finery could be procured. Laces, blondes, velvets, and satins littered every corner of the deanery, and there was scarcely a carriage in a coachmaker's yard in the city that I had not sat and jumped in to try the springs by the special direction of Mrs. Eversham, who never ceased to impress me with the awful responsibility I was about to take upon me, in marrying so great a prize as her daughter, a feeling I found very general among many of my friends at the Kildare Street Club. Among the many indispensable purchases which I was to make, and about which Fanny expressed herself more than commonly anxious, was a saddle-horse for me. She was a great horsewoman, and hated riding with only a servant, and had given me to understand as much about half a dozen times each day for the last five weeks. How shall I acknowledge it? Equestrianism was never my forte. I had all my life considerable respect for the horse as an animal, pretty much as I dreaded a lion or a tiger. But as to any intention of mounting upon the back of one and taking a ride, I should as soon have dreamed of taking an airing upon a giraffe. And as to the thought of buying, feeding, and maintaining such a beast at my own proper cost, I should just as soon have determined to purchase a pillory or a ducking-stool by way of amusing my leisure hours. However, Fanny was obstinate. Whether she suspected anything or not I cannot say, but nothing seemed to turn her from her purpose, and although I pleaded a thousand things in delay, yet she grew each day more impatient, and at last I saw there was nothing for it but to submit. When I arrived at this last bold resolve, I could not help feeling that to possess a horse, and not be able to mount him, was only deferring the ridicule and as I had so often expressed the difficulty I felt in suiting myself as the cause of my delay, I could not possibly come forward with anything very objectionable, or I should be only the more laughed at. There was, then, but one course to take. A fortnight still intervened before the day which was to make me happy, and I accordingly resolved to take lessons in riding during the interval, and by every endeavour in my power become, if possible, able to pass muster on the saddle before my bride. Poor old Lalouette understood but little of the urgency of the case when I requested his leave to take my lessons each morning at six o'clock, for I dared not absent myself during the day without exciting suspicion, and never, I will venture to assert, did knight-errant of old strive harder for the hand of his lady-love than did I during that weary fortnight. If a hippogriff had been the animal I bestrode, instead of being, as it was, an old wall-eyed grey, I could not have felt more misgivings at my temerity, or more proud of my achievement. In the first three days the accustomed exercise proved so severe that when I reached the deanery I could hardly move, 
and crossed the floor pretty much as a pair of compasses might be supposed to do if performing that exploit nothing however could equal the kindness of my poor dear mother-in-law in embryo and even the dean too fanny indeed said nothing but i rather think she was disposed to giggle a little but my rheumatism as it was called was daily inquired after and i was compelled to take some infernal stuff in my port wine at dinner that nearly made me sick at table i am sure you walk too much said fanny with one of her knowing looks papa don't you think he ought to ride it would be much better for him i do my dear said the dean but then you see he is so hard to be pleased in a horse your old hunting days have spoiled you but you must forget melton and grantham and condescend to keep a hack i must have looked confoundedly foolish here for fanny never took her eyes off me and continued to laugh in her own wicked way it was now about the ninth or tenth day of my purgatorial performances and certainly if there be any merit in fleshly mortifications these religious exercises of mine should stand my part hereafter a review had been announced in the phoenix park which fanny had expressed herself most desirous to witness and as the dean would not permit her to go without a chaperone i had no means of escape and promised to escort her no sooner had i made this rash pledge then I hastened to my confidential friend, La Louette, and having imparted to him my entire secret, asked him in a solemn and imposing manner, Can I do it? The old man shook his head dubiously, looked grave, and muttered at length, Most depend on de horse. I know it, I know it, I feel it, said I eagerly then where are we to find an animal that will carry me peaceably through this awful day i care not for his price votre affaire ne sera pas trop cher said he why how do you mean said i he then proceeded to inform me that by a singularly fortunate chance there took place that day an auction of cast horses as they are termed which had been used in the horse police force and that from long riding and training to stand fire nothing could be more suitable than one of these being both easy to ride and not given to start at noise i could have almost hugged the old fellow for his happy suggestion and waited with impatience for three o'clock to come when we repaired together to essexbridge at that time the place selected for these sales i was at first a little shocked at the look of the animals drawn up they were most miserably thin most of them swelled in the legs few without sore backs and not one eye on an average in every three but still they were all high steppers and carried a great tail there's your affair said the old frenchman as a long-legged fiddle-headed beast was led out turning out his forelegs so as to endanger the man who walked beside him yes there's blood for you said charlie dicer seeing my eye fixed on the wretched beast equal to fifteen stone with any foxhounds safe in all his paces and warranted sound except added he in a whisper a slight spaven in both hind legs 
ringbone and a little touch in the wind here the animal gave an approving cough will any gentleman say fifty pounds to begin but no gentleman did a hackney coachman however said five and the sale was opened the beast trotting up and down nearly over the bitters at every moment and plunging on so that it was impossible to know what was doing five ten fifteen six pounds thank you sir guineas seven pounds said i bidding against myself not perceiving that i had spoken last thank you mr moriarty said dicer moving toward an invisible purchaser supposed to be in the crowd thank you sir you'll not let a good one go that way every one here turned to find out the very knowing gentleman but he could nowhere be seen dicer resumed seven ten for mr moriarty going for seven ten a cruel sacrifice there's action for you playful beast here the devil had stumbled and nearly killed a basket woman with two children eight said i with a loud voice eight pounds quite absurd said dicer almost rudely a charger like that for eight pounds going for eight pounds going nothing above eight pounds no reserve gentlemen you are aware of that they are all as it were his majesty's stud no reserve whatever last time eight pounds gone amid a very hearty cheer from the mob god knows why but a dublin mob always cheers i returned accompanied by a ragged fellow leading my new purchase after me with a hay halter what is the meaning of those letters said i pointing to a very conspicuous g r with sundry other enigmatical signs burned upon the animal's hind quarter that's to show he was a police said the fellow with a grin and when ye ride with ladies ye must turn the decoy side the auspicious morning at last arrived and strange to say that the first waking thought was of the unlucky day that ushered in my yachting excursion four years before why this was so i cannot pretend to guess there was but little analogy in the circumstances at least so far as anything had then gone how is marius said i to my servant as he opened the shutters here let me mention that a friend of the kildare street club had suggested this name from the remarkably classic character of my steed's countenance his nose he assured me was perfectly roman marius is doing finely sir barring his cough and the trifle that ails his hind legs he'll carry me quietly simon eh quietly i'll warrant he'll carry you quietly if that's all here was comfort certainly simon had lived forty years as pantry boy with my mother and knew a great deal about horses i dressed myself therefore in high spirits and if my pilot jacket and oilskin cap in former days had half persuaded me that i was born for marine achievements certainly my cords and tops that morning went far to convince me that i must have once been a very keen sportsman somewhere without knowing it it was a delightful july day that i set out to join my friends who having recruited a large party were to rendezvous at the corner of stephen's green thither i proceeded in a certain rambling trot 
which i have often observed is a very favourite pace with timid horsemen and gentlemen of the medical profession i was hailed with a most hearty welcome by a large party as i turned out of grafton street among whom i perceived several friends of miss eversham and some young dragoon officers not of my acquaintance but who appeared to know fanny intimately and were laughing heartily with her as i rode up i don't know if other men have experienced what i am about to mention or not but certainly to me there was no more painful sensation than to find yourself among a number of well-mounted well-equipped people while the animal you yourself bestride seems only fit for the kennel every look that is cast at your unlucky steed every whispered observation about you are so many thorns in your flesh till at last you begin to feel that your appearance is for very little else than the amusement and mirth of the assembly and every time you rise in your stirrups you excite a laugh where for mercy's sake did you find that creature said fanny surveying marius through her glass oh him eh why he is a handsome horse if in condition a charger you know that's his style indeed lisped a young lancer i should be devilish sorry to charge or be charged with him and here they all chuckled at this puppy's silly joke and i drew up to repress further liberties is he anything of a fencer said a young country gentleman to judge from his near eye i should say much more of a boxer said another here commenced a running fire of pleasantry at the expense of my poor steed which not content with attacking his physical extended to his moral qualities an old gentleman near me observing that i ought not to have mounted him at all seeing he was so deuced groggy to which i replied by insinuating that if others present were as free from the influence of ardent spirits society would not be a sufferer an observation that i flatter myself turned the mirth against the old fellow for they all laughed for a quarter of an hour after well at last we set out in a brisk trot and placed near fanny i speedily forgot all my annoyances in the prospect of figuring to advantage before her when we reached the college green the leaders of the cortege suddenly drew up and we soon found that the entire street opposite the bank was filled with a dense mob of people who appeared to be swayed hither and thither like some mighty beast as the individuals composing it were engaged in close conflict it was nothing more nor less than one of those almost weekly rows which then took place between the students of the university and the townspeople and which rarely ended without serious consequences the numbers of people pressing on to the scene of action soon blocked up our retreat and we found ourselves most unwilling spectators of the conflict political watchwords were loudly shouted by each party and at last the students who appeared to be yielding to superior numbers called out for the intervention of the police the aid was nearer than they expected for at the same instant a body of mounted policemen whose high helmets rendered them sufficiently conspicuous were seen trotting at a sharp pace down dame street on they came with drawn sabres 
led by a well-looking gentleman-like personage in plain clothes who dashed at once into the middle of the fray issuing his orders and pointing out to his followers to secure the ringleaders up to this moment i had been a most patient and rather amused spectator of what was doing now however my part was to commence for at the word charge given in a harsh deep voice by the sergeant of the party marius remembering his ancient instinct pricked up his ears cocked his tail flung up both his hind legs till they nearly broke the provost's windows and plunged into the thickest of the fray like a devil incarnate self-preservation must be a strong instinct for i well remember how little pain it cost me to see the people tumbling and rolling beneath me while i continued to keep my seat it was only a moment before and that immense mass were a man-to-man -man encounter now all the indignation of both parties seemed turned upon me brickbats were loudly implored and paving-stones begged to throw at my devoted head the wild huntsmen of the german romance never created half the terror nor one-tenth of the mischief that i did in less than fifteen minutes for the ill-starred beast continued twining and twisting like a serpent plunging and kicking the entire time and occasionally biting too all which accomplishments i afterwards learned however little in request in civil life are highly prized in the horse police every new order of the sergeant was followed in his own fashion by marius who very soon contrived to concentrate in my unhappy person all the interest of about fifteen hundred people secure that scoundrel said the magistrate pointing with his finger towards me as i rode over a respectable-looking old lady with a gray muff secure him cut him down ah devil's luck to him if ye do said a newsmonger with a broken shin on i went however and now as the fates would have it instead of bearing me out of further danger the confounded brute dashed onward to where the magistrate was standing surrounded by policemen i thought i saw him change colour as i came on i suppose my own looks were none of the pleasantest for the worthy man evidently liked them not into the midst of them we plunged upsetting a corporal horse and all and appearing as if bent on reaching the alderman cut him down for heaven's sake will nobody shoot him said he with a voice trembling with fear and anger at these words a wretch lifted up his sabre and made a cut at my head i stooped suddenly and throwing myself from the saddle seized the poor alderman round the neck and both came rolling to the ground together so completely was he possessed with the notion that i meant to assassinate him that while i was endeavouring to extricate myself from his grasp he continued to beg his life in the most heart-rending manner my story is now soon told so effectually did they rescue the alderman from his danger that they left me insensible and i only came to myself some days after by finding myself in the dock in green street charged with an indictment of nineteen counts the only word of truth is what lay in the preamble for the devil inciting me only would ever have made me the owner of that infernal beast the cause of all my misfortunes 
I was so stupefied from my beating that I knew little of the course of the proceedings. My friends told me afterward that I had a narrow escape from transportation. But for the greatest influence exerted in my behalf, I should certainly have passed the autumn in the agreeable recreation of pounding oyster shells or carding wool, and it certainly must have gone hard with me, for, stupefied as I was, I remember the sensation in court when the alderman made his appearance with a patch over his eye. The affecting admonition of the little judge, who, when passing sentence upon me, adverted to the former respectability of my life and the rank of my relatives, actually made the galleries weep. Four months in Newgate, and a fine to the king, then, rewarded my taste for horse exercise and it's no wonder if I prefer going on foot. As to Miss Eversham, the following short note from the dean concluded my hopes in that quarter. Deanery, Wednesday morning. Sir, after the very distressing publicity to which your late conduct has exposed you, the so open avowal of political opinions at variance with those, I will say, of every gentleman, and the recorded sentence of a judge on the verdict of twelve of your countrymen, I should hope that you will not feel my present admonition necessary to inform you that your visits to my house shall cease. The presence you made my daughter, when under our unfortunate ignorance of your real character, have been addressed to your hotel, and I am your most obedient, humble servant, Oliver Eversham. Here ended my second affair par amour, and I freely confess to you that if I can only obtain a wife in a sea voyage or a steeplechase, I am likely to fulfill one great condition in modern advertising, as having no encumbrance nor any objection to travel. End of section 33